0: Essence Magazine reports that in today's NFL, only 23% of the agents representing players, broadcasters, or coaches are female, leaving it open for females to truly make their mark in a league that's dominated by men. With this in mind, you may be asking yourself, What's the key, as a woman, to break into player representation in the NFL? Well, if you spent any length of time pondering that question, I'm glad you've stumbled upon this podcast. Because I had the distinct pleasure of having a conversation with Jill McBride Baxter. She is indeed... The daughter of Hall of Fame football coach Ron McBride. She was indeed born into a football family and it runs deep within her bloodstream. She also married a renowned college football coach. She turned her love of law and passion for football into a career that has now spanned more than two decades. Representing players and coaches alike. During my time with Baxter this week, we covered a wide range of topics, including how more women can break into the field of sports representation, how we can create a more equitable environment for diversity in sports representation, and... How the changing landscape of college football with the introduction of NIL deals has changed the way agents recruit and retain top and on-the-bubble talent. And, in case you were wondering, you have no reason to worry, because indeed, we did spend a portion of our conversation chatting about the second coming of Christmas in many NFL households and across the league when we touched upon what Baxter thinks is going to happen in Thursday's NFL Draft. I had a wonderful time having a lively and fruitful conversation with Baxter, which I'm now excited to share with all of you. So without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Thank you uh for being here this afternoon on a very exciting week as we enter the nfl draft we're going to see this yep. this afternoon and thank you so very much for being here yeah no problem absolutely so don't you know, tell me i know that you're uh tell me me about how important
1: football is to you, my friend. Okay, well, yeah, I basically say that I grew up on a football field because when my parents were in college, we went to practice. We went to games. My mom has pictures of us where she's pregnant. And where is she? She's on the practice field herself. So we were always going to a football game. We were always going to practice. I sometimes would go recruiting with my dad, um, you know, like to high school games or whatever, when he's looking for, you know, players for, for to sign for the next year. And um, yeah, I've done it my whole life. I, I don't think there's very many Saturdays where I wasn't at a game. And then on Sundays I'm usually watching the NFL games. And then if I'm not at, if I wasn't at one of my dad's games, then I, also married my husband who's also a college football coach so i'd be going, going to his game so saturdays are always a football game or and are watching college games right so i'm and i have a lot of clients that are coaches so i'm watching their games i'm watching my husband's games um and then sunday i'll be watching the nfl Games And now, you know, NFL games are on Thursdays and Sundays and Mondays. So there's usually a game on. Well, I tell you, as football
0: fans, we can never get enough, right, Jill?
1: Well, yeah, no, I, I really like football. It's kind of like part of my, you know, DNA, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you said, you turned
0: your love for football and pa- passion uh for law into becoming an agent. So tell me about uh, your transition to becoming an agent and your passion for law and how they intersect as well.
1: Yeah, so what happened was when I was in my second year of law school, honestly, my dad called me and he said, hey, um, Gary is getting a contract with, with the Rams and he needs somebody to represent him and he needs <laughs> to do it. And I was like, dad, I'm in my second year of law school. I don't do that. And he said, yeah, but you can. I know you can. And I'm like, okay. So at the time I was actually president of the sports law forum at my law school. I was also president of the women's caucus and I had just had Lee Steinberg come speak. And this was when Lee was much, much younger than he is now. But so I called Lee's office and I just said, "Hey." What do I have to do to represent NFL players? He goes, oh, you just got to pay money to the union and get certified and go to a meeting. And I said, that's it? And back then, that's all you had to do. It was in 1987. And so I just called the NFL Players Union and filled out the paperwork and got certified. And then I had to go to a meeting. It was very quite simple back then. Now it's completely different. You have to. Take a test, and you know they do a whole background check, and you got to have the right insurance, and it and it's much more regulated now. But back then, there was maybe twenty people, you know, that were representing people. That was it. It wasn't a lot. Now there's a whole lot more, right? There's a lot more people. So, but it and because as as more players got representation, because in 1987 a lot of players didn't even have representation. Some did, some didn't. Um, And now, you know, all, well, all of them except for maybe one right now that's (laughs) representing himself, but most players do have um, representation, right? So, uh, and fast forward, what also has happened in, in my world is, Coaches have representation, athletic administrators do, media does. And it's all because of the contracts. Contracts are much more complicated. There's a lot of wording that needs to be researched and or deleted if possible. So, you know, things have changed because the environment has changed. The money is more. So there's a lot more to lose on either side. And people realize that, yeah, I need to have a lawyer look at my contract or negotiate my deal. So I have a lot now, including like I the other thing is NIL has opened up a whole new avenue. So I've got some college athletes in the NIL space, but I also just signed like a new box boxer, Marcus Castro, who I'm getting deals for him too, because I'm really back in the endorsement deal side of it. And I did represent a UFC. For eight years, and so I really understand that that world too, and that's really getting deals and endorsements like to put on their shorts and stuff like that, like that. And that's now happening in the college space for all athletes. So that's opened up a whole another avenue of um, ways to represent people. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So there's,
1: so there's long answer to your question. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Jill, since you brought it up, I'm curious to ask you about um, whether you think NIL deals will be sustainable or whether you think that whole process has to be regulated in some way. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, here's the deal with NIL where it's gotten a little muddy is that the transfer portal. NIL and collectives have created an environment in which nobody exactly anticipated that's what was going to happen, okay? And what's happening is exactly what they didn't want to happen, was people are stealing players from them by giving them better NIL deals. and It's really illegal, but it's hard to, like, say, you know, you know, if, if, if a coach or, it says, you know, our players are earning around this much money in the NIL space. They can say that. It's just that when you induce somebody with that information or promise something to somebody, that's where it gets a little dicey. So, so the the industry has grown very quickly, and it's and it is billions of dollars already. So, is it going to slow down? I don't know. There's a lot of brands that are, if somebody has a large social media following and they're a college athlete, they're attractive to lots of brands. If that's their demographics, if their demographics are college kids, you know, like, let's say Dial's doing a lot, you know, with with uh, athletes, you know, deodorant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there's certain companies companies that are attracted to athletes that have a lot of social media followers um you know a lot of mobile companies have done stuff um so it's 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 pretty it's pretty it's growing right now it's not stopping yeah absolutely and, uh, you know
0: Jillson we're a day away from the draft, I'm fascinated to ask you about what you think is going to happen tomorrow night and the process of really recruiting players during this time as they look for representation as they look to sort of make the next jump in their careers. Yeah, Um, well those
1: are two kind of different questions i i the draft is a really unpredictable thing um tomorrow night you're going to see some guys that oh yeah these draft analysts were right and then you're going to find some guys that aren't right because the truth is i am not sitting in the team room with the gm and the head coach and have all the information that they have on the guys that are deciding to draft okay they're really great information gatherers they're really good at it, and they cannot afford to make a mistake on that first-round pick. So, and you don't know, and and the other thing is, you don't know, as an agent, I don't always know every injury on their team right now. I can look up all the contracts and find out, okay, this guy's up for contract. He's he's making a lot of money, and he's going to be a free agent next year, so I could see where that team... Would pick this player over this player just because of need, right? Um, quarterbacks obviously are at a premium, but in this draft, there's not like as many like high-profile guys at that position. I don't think. Um, so it, it, it so much of it depends on team needs and how they have that kit graded and how that guy fits in their offense, defense, special teams, whatever you know they're they're needing if they do they have a coaching change are they going to have a total scheme change um do they have a new gm this year you know so the draft is very unpredictable that's why it's fun to watch as an agent what i do is i really track what these teams who they're picking because if i have a player at that position i want to know where they picked as far as a player at the same position that I maybe am representing in this draft or any draft. So I'm carefully analyzing that and day two also. And then day three, um, you know, like probably like there's, there's about hundreds, probably 20 deals on each team get done five minutes after the draft. So you got to track the draft because in case your client doesn't get drafted, which can happen. Uh, you got to know where is going to be the best place to send him, where he has the best chance to make it if he has five teams calling him after the draft ends. So you got to analyze it from both perspectives. And if you know a team is interested in a guy and you know where the guy is on their list, like is he a, okay, they got him as a number one guy as a fourth round pick and they have not picked anybody at that position, I might start calling the team and say, hey, Let's say there's two teams that you know are gonna draft your guy in the fourth round. I might call and say, Hey, I think the you know, hey, the 49ers are about to draft my guy and you have the pick for them. I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. That's it. That's that's a, that's the only thing you could kind of do as an agent. But most teams, if I was a team leader though, I would not be giving any information out to anybody. I would be keeping that private because I don't want to have to, I don't want to play in my hand during that, you know, during the draft. Yeah. So really like smart, smart GMs are going to tell their scouts, do not tell anybody anything about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the guy that's, and the guy that's the best at that is, is Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. He does not share information with people and he's smart. About that, because because why would you do that? It's just, there's no incentive to do that.
0: You're right, because it lose your competitive advantage, right? So it's,
1: exactly. It's just like in a game. I'm not going to hand you my playbook, man. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you what I'm calling on the first play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joe,
1: I'm curious to
0: ask you about uh, building relationships because you, you know when you're an agent, uh, building relationships is kind of the Wise plan of your business, and as a, a female agent yourself, I'm curious for your advice for any other women, women who are interested interested in entering the space.
1: Um, you know, you just need a client, and then you got to start going to stuff. You go. I've been going to the combine and in the Senior Bowl, <clears throat> college practices, college games. All the time. So I'm always meet, seeing these people. I go to the pro days. But now I've been doing it for a long time. And so all my friends are still in. You know, my friends with NFL teams are still in. And some of them have become GMs. And I'm good friends with them. But those relationships have, have been built over a long period of time. I try to go to a lot of, like, um, like the Shrine Game or the NFL PA Bowl, the Senior Bowl, combine all those places are places where you have an opportunity to meet new people even if you don't have a player in the combine or at a game you might go to the game just to talk to people about a player you have that's playing the senior bowl but not in the shrine game you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. so you gotta have those opportunities to meet new people um and touch base with the people you've known for a long time and and like if people come through my husband coaches at Fresno State now, so when the scouts come through, I usually have them over for dinner or breakfast, or we go to, we meet for breakfast, or we'll have them over for dinner. And you got to know a lot of them are friends with my husband and my dad and me. Some of them are friends with me, don't know my husband. Some of them, some of them know both both of us. Some of us know all all three of us: my dad, my husband, and myself. You know, so it's it's kind of interesting. I, like I went to breakfast with one scout; he had no idea my dad was coach. My dad's retired now, Uh, you know. And he was, and I was like, Mark, I can't believe you You don't know that about my dad. He goes, No, your husband recruited me. Okay, that did happen. I know your husband, but I didn't know your dad was a coach. And I've known the guy for probably 15 years.
0: It's a small world after all, you know. I always said, Life is a constant game of networking, isn't
1: it? Of course, yeah. So, my advice. And that's something I love doing. I really, like, I really do enjoy seeing my friends. And being a college scout is a friggin' hard job. They're on the road all the time going from school to school to school. They're away from their families. Um, it's a hard, hard job. People don't realize. I mean, they're so worn, up, worn out by the end of those pro days because they're starting with those, with... First, the games, like the Shrine Game, NFL Payable Senior Bowl. Then there's the Combine. And then they have pro days all through March, first week of April. And then they go into draft meetings. They are wiped out by now. Wiped out. They're tired. You know? Because well, and, and they've been on the road, you know? Going from school to school to school to school. It's a lot of energy
0: out there. Indeed. It eh? brings a whole new meaning to embrace the grind, doesn't it?
1: It is a grind. I mean, people, oh, it's so much fun. No, no, this is work. But now I like it. I'm going to tell you, I've never, I love what I do. I love my clients. I love all the NFL guys. Um, I Unfortunately, as agents, we don't get to interact all that much except for at the combine. And, um, and we're all spread out all over the time. Sometimes I'll see them at a pro day. Um but each year, guys have different clients at different places. So you might see him at a pro day 10 years ago and you don't see him for 10 years. So my peers do not, we don't interact that much. I do I do talk to some of the other female agents and I'm good friends with Laura Oakman who does sidelines for the NFL. She's a reporter, you know, media. And I'm super close with her and have been for many, many years. So and she's a great resource too because she knows everybody in the league yeah she's the longest yeah she's the longest term longest female sideline reporter in the NFL I think yeah she's, she's amazing
0: she's been doing a great job for a long time for sure
1: yeah, and yeah. You know, I'm
0: curious to get your thoughts on on how you think more, more uh females can enter uh, the space of representing
1: players is what. Well, you know what? I didn't realize in 1987 that I was the only female. I had no idea. I didn't care. I just I had a client. So, I do think right now there is a lot more women than there were certainly when I started because I was the only one at the time. There weren't even that many men doing it. There just weren't that many agents, right? In the NFL space. Mm-hmm. Um but I think anybody, if they are really passionate about something, you know, and they want to do it, you just got to to get a client. That's the hard part. Dealing with the NFL, guys, that's not hard. But getting a client, that's hard. Because you got to um, have the network to, number one, pick the right player. And you got to know people and you got to be able to get to the player. But that's not easy to do. Yeah, no so, it's, you know, No one's. Yeah. And not only that, if they're a really great player, everybody's hounding them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to start early in that recruiting process, or you have a relationship with somebody. You can utilize your former, you know, clients, and then I have a lot of coaching clients. So a lot of my my a lot of my job work is very very much referral based like most of the, my clients I get in the NFL space were referred to me by a coach. So they say, you should call Jill, or a scout will be referred. They'll say, no, you should call Jill Baxter. I think she's going to be a good fit for you because you need somebody who has got a lot of connections, or else nobody's going to know who you are. You know, it's not that hard. I'll be honest with you. Representing draft picks is a part. Representing guys that are on the bubble is what's where they need somebody with connections. That's the harder space to get in. Mm -hmm. You got to really understand that space. Um, If you want to compete for first round picks, they just want money to pay for their training and this and that and all that. So then you got to do that, which is fine. There's some good trainers out there. But, you know, you got to have the money to invest. Um, It's. I discourage people from doing that because I think it's a bad investment. <laughs> because if the guy doesn't go where he thinks he's going to go, and I think they should stay in college and work with their college coach, strength coach, because they know their bodies better. And and that's where teams have to work out anyway. So they go to these outside trainers and move somewhere, and their their numbers are good, good. But maybe they would have been just as good if they'd gone to their – their strength coach of the college. And a lot of players don't like that. They wanna they want to get away and be all pampered. It's like this is not a pampering. Who calls it hard? You yeah. know, so the training thing is an interesting thing. You gotta you gotta do it though if you're trying to get a first round pick. But if you start to invest money in guys that are not first round picks, you are gonna you are gonna go out of business quick. And a lot of my friends have gone out of business because they did that they thought to get the player, I would to spend this much money and put him in training, and they—they they weren't even a draft pick. You see what I mean?
0: All so right. they didn't
1: get picked at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a, a layered process for sure, Jill. Uh,
1: you, you know,
0: I'm also curious to ask you about creating more equitable spaces in terms of inclusion in sports media and representing players from a diversity and equity standpoint. When you think of inclusion, what other uh, steps in the business do you think uh,
1: needs to be? Well, I think it's funny that you asked that question, because I had a long talk with my friend who runs a school district, and I asked her this question. I said, you know, it's a very common question. And I thought she, and I think this is true, she goes, look, it's systemic and processes that people have to understand that some of the systemic and processes that have been put in place may discriminate against certain people. And so that that you really have to look at the systems and the processes that are in place and do those systems and processes possibly exclude or include certain people? Mm-hmm. And, and so... I, and I thought to myself, well, that's really interesting. i never really thought about that way. Right now, though, in the NFL, there's the um, Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching um, Fellowship. And there's also the, the – it's the Wooten, um, Wooten Diversity uh, Internship, which is the scouting area. Mm-hmm. So that's another way, I think, where actually NFL teams have been a lot more open, particularly to women. Because um, there's not that many women in the space, um, and I think that's a way for, okay, if you don't, if you aren't going to do the agent side and maybe you want to do the team side, I would definitely apply for the, the nunn Luton Fellowship on the scouting side or on the coaching side if you want to be a coach. Now, to qualify for the coaching thing, you have to be a current coach or a former NFL player. The scouting side is a little more open-ended as far as, like, you know, you, you maybe have an opportunity there. but But there does have to be a, a – and they're trying to make concerted efforts. When I talked to my scouting friends about this, they said, well, just so you know, Jill, some of the women that have got into the scouting area – they're out doing interviews talking about being a woman in the space, and they're not doing the work. And I said, well, that's a problem because, you know, this isn't about telling people, oh, I'm the only woman. Who cares? you got to do the work. <laughs> mm-hmm. you got to put your head down and do the work. The work is hard. <laughs> you know, Jill, you know,
0: I always say that anything worth having is on the other side of hard, right?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I'm just saying there is – know you got to learn what their process is and their process is you got to look at a ton of film and you have to you know analyze the film and then you gotta submit the reports to the department because that's what they need you to do if you're working in scouting well if you don't know how to work the exos machine and you don't know how to analyze tape on a football player then you might have a little hard time being in the scouting department. Because they're not asking you to negotiate deals. They're asking you to analyze players and tell them why this player is better than this one. So, And if you don't know how to do that, then maybe you better start learning how before you go into an environment like that. Because people who are in football or played football, they've been watching film for a long time. They played football, so so this is an interesting thing. Since, like, a female, very few females play college football, right, or even high school football. So they're not learning all that as a young kid. Now, there are some women, women leagues now, right, which is good. Um, but, you know, we played flat football in high school, right, as a fun thing for a fundraiser or something. You know, and we played one game and we played flat. We weren't studying the game. How did I learn to study the game? Well, I was at a game. I was out of practice. So I just learned it by that's just what we did. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I learned that's how I learned the game was by going to games and practices, but that's how I grew up. So systemically, women in particular have not maybe had the opportunities because they, they they didn't have the opportunity to play game. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there are coaches out there, by the way, that did not play the game. All right? So I do know that. So it's not that it's not possible. It is. But think about that systemically, how that would eliminate a lot of people. Yeah. i are talking about diversity when you're talking about a diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay, depending on what you define. Um, also to play, you gotta have be off the charts, great player and athlete. So if you're not athletic, also, you're going to have a problem because you never got the opportunity to play because you weren't athletic enough. You see what I mean?
0: Yeah, the best way to learn and to grow is to be put right into the fire, and if you don't have the opportunity, yep. you can't grow. Yeah,
1: absolutely. so. And, and I have even thought, boy, I'd really like to do the non um, uh internship, but I don't know if I can because I work for players. I have to ask one of my GM friends. I thought about submitting an application and they can just deny me if they want. You see uh, what I'm saying? I think it's important. I think it's important the other side thinks. Mm-hmm. So important in anything that you do, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, it,
0: there's uh, Indeed, and Dilla, I'm curious to, to
1: think about.
0: Yeah, of course. And Dilla, I'm curious to ask you about whether you think growing up around the sport gave you a competitive advantage and some of your favorite memories as an agent, uh, growing up a, as a daughter of a coach or now. Being married to uh, uh, coaches, well, t- so tell me about the competitive advantage you think uh, you've gained uh, considering your upbringing.
1: Yeah, hold on, just one minute. And I'll answer the question. Not, not question? No hold on. No, we were about to
0: go
1: in for that. Uh... Oh yeah, no, that's okay. I'm gonna I'm pulling okay. in. Okay, good. All right, I'll see you in a couple weeks. Hey, you. Thank you. I'm gonna try to have marks. Okay. I want you to meet him. Or re meet him. You already know him. Sorry, that's <laughs> On the run, no problem. I wanna set my book up with my with Angelica's Angelica's daughter is I just got this new box she's so adorable. But and so's my so is Angelica's papers from mouse. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to introduce you to Marcus. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So what's what's your what's your yeah? I like to be the matchmaker too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what was your 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 last question? Sorry. No, no
0: problem. No. I was just wondering if uh, you believe that growing up around the sport and now being married to someone in football. Provided you a competitive advantage in the work you do and some of your favorite memories around
1: the school. Of course, it gave me a competitive adventure, I, advantage. I also had parents who didn't put any, like, didn't put us in a box. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you can do anything. I never even realized that anybody was discriminated against until I got to law school and started reading case law. And I was like, what? Because I didn't grow up in that environment. I grew up in a very, I don't know, there was always somebody at our house. My parents were always helping people, and there just weren't any barriers, right? And then, so so growing up with parents like that and also being around football, of course, it's a competitive advantage because I understand the game. I understand how it works. I understand how they think. I understand all the ups and downs. I understand, And I lived it on top of it because then I married into it and found out, oh, by the way, being a coach's wife is a lot harder than being a coach's kid because because all of a sudden we have kids i've got my own company we're moving all over the place you know and then we and and a typical weekend in if if somebody is in the coaching world at least for their families is we usually have company we take them to the games you know there's a whole social thing around this and it's not it's not a job it's a lifestyle football is a lifestyle being in football is a lifestyle it's a seven day a week deal right it's not like there's i mean we just had one of our former players that is a rodeo guy is in town for the rodeo so he brings his horses over stays at our house we go watch him do rodeo you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. he played for my husband 20 years ago he played for the giants for a long time too he played in the nfl for a long time So, of course, you have a competitive advantage. There also has been some disadvantages to this because when my husband was coaching at USC, they were petrified that I was an agent because it was when all the Reggie Bush stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, yeah, well, guess what? I'm not that kind of an agent and I don't give people anything, so you don't have to worry. (laughs) I'm too cheap for that. (laughs) I'm not giving them a dime Mm -hmm. and I'm not violating any NCAA rules. Mm -hmm. You know, so but the advantage is that I understand the game. I'm around the players. I have more of an advantage because I have access to their parents. But when I was at USC, I couldn't I couldn't represent any of them. It was allowed, you know, it was conflict. So so there's sometimes where it's worked for me and sometimes where it's worked against me. Or John will have a great player, and they'll be like, uh, oh, what if something goes wrong, and I'm being represented by his wife. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that that comes up. Uh, but I, you know, and so, you know, so I've probably not gotten players because of my connections as well, but I've gotten players because of my connections. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my coaching clients, though, which I do like, they will refer players to me, and that's a much cleaner deal because it's just like, hey, I gave him your name, he's interviewing people, I told him you're good, whatever. Um, you know?
0: Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, so. it's, it's both sides of the coin for sure. And so my final question yeah. for you today has to do with your own professional and personal legacy and how you want that to be defined and whether or not you view yourself as a
1: role model in the business. Well, I think one of the things that I, you know, what I have seen evolve, and this is just like you, I have a podcast as well. I have a podcast. I have a book. I, but I started Sports Agent Academy because I knew that people would want to get, I've gotten the question many, many times, I want to be a sports agent. And I, so I created an online course where they can take the online course and I teach them how to do it. I also teach a one-week intensive course at my law school. Um, and teach the students where I went to law school because my dean asked me to teach it. And I spend one week at the law school, and I have all students that are lawyers that are, are about to graduate from law school that take a one week intensive class with me, and I teach them how to be a sports agent. And that's something I think, as a legacy, I, I find that to be very important giving back and helping people that want to do what I want to do because I did not have a mentor. Why? They're just too competitive. I don't. To me, I don't care. I'd rather help people get to where they want to go. So I and I and online courses are great because, you know, once they once they do that, they sign up for the course and then they can call. They Some of them call and ask me questions and they're like, Jill, you need to do a course on how to represent coaches because I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, Chantel, I will do that. I just, right now, it's the draft. I said, but, you know, maybe that's something I'll consider taking on. Maybe I'll do it in June. I'll create another online course, but I'll gear it towards representing coaches rather than players. She actually rep- represents basketball players, and she used my NFL process to do that, to, to utilize for her basketball stuff, her basketball players. And she has a lot of female basketball players, too. Um <clears throat> And she's done really well, and she started a podcast, and so she just followed what I said. Um, I also have a book um, called Born to Be a Sports Agent, and my book also, it starts out with stories, you know, from my family background. The middle part, though, is my processes I use for NFL players. And then the last part of the book is client stories to say, you know, these are things that have happened, you know, that this that you can learn from. So, um it's a very good book born to be a sports agent is a really good book to read if you are somebody maybe who just likes sports but also just if you want to learn how to be an agent and it's a very quick read and there's lots of funny stories too (laughs) so i think as a legacy i'm glad i created the online sport courses i'm i'm happy to give back to that community of people who want to do that I'm glad I wrote the book because it answers a lot of the unanswered questions that people need, and I probably got to add to it because the NIL thing's changed. Mm-hmm. And, and then my husband and I also have a company called Academic Game Plan that helps people learn how to learn that are struggling academically, or not even struggling, just that want to do better academically. Mm-hmm. And that's also been something that he and I have done together, and we've done that for, gosh, probably almost 25 years maybe we've had that program. So I hope my legacy is that you know I, I did give back and I did try to teach everybody everything that I know so that they can, you know, be successful and do what they want to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Joe Fabro tell me if people want to get connected with a little more thing to do, what's the best way they can do that?
1: Uh, they can email me at jillbaxter at me.com. They can also go to my website at jillmcbridebaxter.com. And probably right now the best thing is just go to my website, see which category you fit in, and click on that. And I have free webinars. You can watch the webinar, get on my email list, I send out Tuesday tips, and pretty much every Thursday I usually drop a podcast. Sometimes you know, I might skip a week if I'm super busy, but I, I pretty much try to drop. And, I've, and I have four years of content, four years of podcasts. So I have a lot of episodes. There might be an even previous episode that somebody, because it's called representation without taxation. It's basically free advice.
0: Well, fabulous.
1: So, so that's another resource for people. You know, so I have several resources, online courses. Go to my website, jillmcbridebaxter.com. It's all on there. Um, I have a blog on there, too. I send emails weekly. And, you know, all those all those resources, online course book, my, my podcast, and then I think those are probably, and then my free webinars. I also have a YouTube channel. I've got some YouTube stuff on there, different videos and stuff. Um, for different people. But, yeah, I have lots of different resources for people. I can see that.
0: And I I, I really appreciate your time today, Jill. I know how how busy uh, your schedule is this time of year. So, I appreciate you uh, engaging in conversation uh, with me today. As an old uh, sports reporter myself, I was super super excited when you agreed to do this. I want to let you the best of luck with your future endeavors, my friend, and I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. It's most appreciated. Yeah,
1: it's great. Yeah, so thanks for thanks for your time, Kevin. I appreciate it.